Well, good morning, church. Please take your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 11 as we continue our journey through the book of Acts. You know, I debated whether or not to talk about the big game. That was my dilemma this, this week. Do I talk about the big game? You see, it's a bit dangerous because I run the risk of distracting you for the rest of the sermon. But you're not going to let that happen, are you? Thank you. I hear you. You see, for this game, you can be assured that the coaches have a game plan. They take time to develop this plan. They communicate this plan to the players. They practice the plan. And then on game day, they attempt to execute the plan. But sometimes things don't go as hoped or expected. Sometimes things don't go as anticipated, and so they have to adjust their plan accordingly. And so you'll probably hear today of something called a halftime adjustment, right? One of the team that's losing especially will go in and they'll have to make some halftime adjustments. They'll have to change something with the offense or the defense or the special teams. As I was uh, reading this week, I even saw an an, uh, article titled, Why Didn't the Colts Change Game Plans Versus the Patriots? Because apparently every time they played the Patriots, they had the same game plan with the same result. They got blown out. The Bible tells us that God has a plan that He is working, that He's been working in the past, that He continues to work in the present and the future. God's plan is not like planning for the Super Bowl because He knows the beginning and the end. He knows everything from the start to the finish. The Bible says He is the Alpha and the Omega. Psalm 33, 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generation. God's counsel, his plans stand forever. And already in Acts, Luke has informed us through the preaching of Peter about God's plan, particularly regarding the death of Christ. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God is working his definite plan, even related, even concerning the death of his son, part of his plan. And so in our text today, we're going to see God's plan and how it relates to the mission of the church. Let's pray together as we look at this text. Father, we give you thanks for this opportunity we have now to open up your word. Lord, And as we do, we pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds, and our ears to be receptive to the things of the Spirit of God. Lord, that you would speak to us through your word, even today. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Three things I see regarding God's plan in the mission of the church in this text. Number one, God's plan includes bringing all peoples into the church. God's plan includes bringing all peoples into the church. Verses 19 to 21 says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, to the, to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. We see in this text, it's God's plan for the nations, for all peoples to come into the church. Well, how do we know what God's plan is? Well, he reveals it to us. We saw his plan revealed in the beginning of Acts, the theme verse of Acts, Acts 1.8, where Jesus tells his disciples, you will, be, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You see, this was not a new plan. This is actually a continuation of God's promise to bless the nations through Abraham. This is not God's half-time adjustment, where now he's shifting to the church. This is not a plan B. This is God fulfilling his covenant that he made with Abraham when he promised Abraham to bless him and to bless the nations through him. Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Luke is showing us the working of God's plan here in the early church. Now notice that sometimes God's plan includes persecution. It does. Sometimes it includes persecution. In verse 19, it mentions that the persecution that arose over Stephen. Remember back to Acts chapter 6, Stephen is preaching the gospel. He's talking about Jesus, how he's a fulfillment of all that God has promised in the Old Testament. And he's killed for his faith. He's martyred. And it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Saul approved of his, Stephen's, execution. And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now this, through this persecution, the gospel is now going beyond Judea and Samaria, further north, outside of the land of Israel. Now, this persecution was not justified. It, it was religious in nature, being persecuted by the, by the Jewish leaders. It wasn't justified, but notice that God is using that for his purposes, to further his plan to take the gospel message to the nations. I think sometimes we, we view persecution as, uh, as a result of sin, Sometimes it might be, but sometimes we just we view it strictly as a result of sin or punishment, but oftentimes God is using it for his purposes, to further his plan. It's not something 
odd if we are being persecuted or suffering for our faith. Paul will later say in Acts 14, 22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. He later tells Timothy that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And have, you, have you ever read 1 Peter? It says, don't be surprised if you're suffering. Don't be surprised when suffering comes upon you. Sometimes God uses suffering to further his kingdom, to bring in all peoples. That is his will. And we see this gospel message expanding geographically as it goes further north, but also culturally as it goes to the Gentiles. We see in in verse 19, it talks about those who were persecuted. They went as far as Phoenicia, that's north of Israel, the province of Syria. They went to Cyprus, that was the third largest island in the Mediterranean Sea, about 90 miles off the coast of Syria. And And then further north, to Antioch, the capital of the Roman province of Syria, about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire at the time. Interestingly, Luke informs us that in first they spoke only to the Jews, but then later some from Cyprus and Cyrene went and preached also to the Hellenists, to the Gentiles. Now, whoa. Why? Why did some come and preach to the Gentiles? Why were some willing to preach to the, to the nations? After careful study of this passage, detailed, grueling, getting into it deep, I came to the conclusion that those from Cyprus and Cyrene were actually graduates of Southeastern. <laughs> Probably studying under Dr. Robinson, some of the other professors that attend here at North Wake. And they were willing. Now, there might be another, another explanation. An alternative explanation could be that those who went, actually went later, that some time had passed, and that the incident with Cornelius had taken place, and the, they now see the gospel clearly going forth to the, to the Gentiles as Cornelius was received and, and he himself received the Holy Spirit with his family. And so now the door is open, they go, and they're willing to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations, even to the Gentiles. And notice that God's plan includes the preaching of the word. That's what they did. They, verse 19, they were speaking the word. Verse 20, they were preaching the Lord Jesus. Later on, we, we, we see Barnabas and and Barnabas and Saul preaching to the church. They preached the message about Jesus, that he was Lord, that he's creator, that he alone is worthy of our worship. We should serve no others. They knew the scriptures. They were willing and able to show how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. The result, what happens when you effectively preach the word? The salvation of many. Look at verse 21. A great number who believed turned to the Lord. That's what they did. They preached the word. They had confidence in God's word. And God used that and blessed that. And a great many believed. Again, we see later in verse 24. A great many people were added to the Lord. 
God's word is powerful and effective, and we can trust it. And so we preach it so that he, through his spirit, awakens the hearts of sinners. You see, this is, this is God's plan to preach the word to all peoples, even through persecution. And so I ask you this morning, do you trust in God's plan? You know, wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if the Seahawks or the Patriots had a plan that would be guarantee, guarantee them to win the game? I know what you're thinking. I'm not talking about deflated balls or spying on the other team. I'm talking about a bona fide plan that would be guaranteed to win. We have such a plan. God has revealed it to us. We have a risen Lord who is victorious. We have the game plan that will win. We can be confident in God's plan. Revelation 17, 14, the, they will make war on the Lamb. And the Lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Do you trust in God's plan? And even if it involves suffering and persecution. Now, I'm not talking about seeking persecution. I think that's foolishness. But being willing to suffer for the name of Christ. And maybe some of you are, are suffering now, being persecuted now in some way. Maybe it's not what we see those in, in India are suffering. But when you're in those trials, remind yourself that God has a plan and he's using that in your life for a reason. You can trust in him. His plan is to bring in all peoples. So let's, let's be welcoming of all peoples into the church. His desire is for all peoples to worship him and that the local church represent that unity that all peoples have in Christ. And so we share the word, we share the message to all peoples. Do you know it well enough to share it? I, you know, if, if, I, if someone were to ask you, what's the most important thing in your life? One word, what would you say? I think a lot of you would probably say, Jesus turned my life around, gave me hope, gave me purpose. But wouldn't it be a shame if, if you were not able to effectively and passionately communicate the gospel message to someone else? The most important thing in your life and yet you can't communicate it. Can you explain the gospel that Jesus left heaven to be born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect life, perfectly obeying the will of his father? He was betrayed. He was crucified on a Roman cross to be the sacrifice and substitute for the sins of his people. And he died and he was buried. But on the third day, he rose again from the dead. He was seen by many. He ascended to the Father's right hand where he reigns even now. And someday he will return to judge the living and the dead and to restore all things and to, to make it new. And the Bible says if we turn from our sins and trust in Christ 
have faith in him. Not in ourselves, not in someone else, not in anything else. That he will save us and give us eternal life. That's what the early church was preaching. That's what we need to know and be able to communicate. So, good news for you. If you want a little bit of help with that, we have a life change class. In four weeks that begins, called The Greatest Story You'll Ever Tell. And I believe that class will be at 9 o'clock. So you can, you can take that at 9 o'clock, and then you can come to the worship service. I, but I also hear there's a good class on Ephesians the second hour, so it's kind of a toss-up. So God's plan includes bringing all peoples into his church. Secondly, God's plan includes the primacy of the local church, the primacy of the local church. You know what God's plan is? You know what his offense and his defense is and his special teams? It's the local church. God's plan is to work through the local church. That's primarily how he works. We see this in verses 22 to 26 in our passage. It says the report of this, that is that the Gentiles were believing in great numbers in Antioch, and that came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch, and I, I love this part, and he came and he saw the grace of God. What does that look like? Have you ever seen, like, there it is, the grace of God. I just saw it. How do you see the grace of God? He saw the effects of the grace of God in the lives of people who were transformed, who were loving each other, encouraging each other, building each other up, giving to each other. He sees the grace of God. He was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. They still need exhortation, even though you can see the grace of God. For he, was a man, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, Paul, right, the apostle Paul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, the church at Antioch. Notice the church's key, the church in Jerusalem, sends Barnabas to the church in Antioch, and he goes to get Paul, brings him to the church at Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church, and he taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. It's God's plan. He works through the local church. Notice how the church at Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch. Why? Well, it was to confirm the mess, that the message of the gospel had indeed gone to the Gentiles. We see this pattern elsewhere in the book of Acts. When the gospel's taken to a new area or a new people, it's confirmed by the apostles. Acts 8.14 It says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, what did they do? They sent to them Peter and John. And then Peter brings the gospel message to a Gentile, Cornelius. He get, he. he goes to the church of Jerusalem, he tells them, Acts eleven eighteen. 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. 
And so you see the same thing here. The gospel message goes to Antioch, and the Gentiles believe, so the church sends Barnabas to confirm this. Why Barnabas? Why did they send Barnabas? Now, interestingly, Barnabas, we learn earlier in Acts, was from Cyprus, so this was a good match. He knew the area. He was from there. But notice that's not what the text says. The primary reason they sent Barnabas is because he was a man of God. Notice how he's described. He, is, he was a good man. Only Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, who asked for the body of Jesus, is described that way. He's also described as, as being full of the Holy Spirit and faith, just like Stephen. And so living up to his name, the son of encouragement, he goes to the church, he exhorts them, he encourages them, is faithful to his calling. But that's not all he did. He goes, he leaves the church at Antioch when a great number of people come in, and he goes to find the apostle Paul. Why? I think it's because the church needed help with teaching. Notice what it says in verse 25. A great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas leaves, the teacher? He went to go find help. Who could he find that is a great teacher who knows the word, who is equipped and has, been fa- and has a calling and has been faithful to that calling to preach to the Gentiles? So he goes to get the apostle Paul. I think this took humility and commitment. I think it took humility because... Barnabas was willing to share his ministry. I think a lot of times when there's a growing ministry, look at all these people coming to the Lord, he could have just stayed there. But he humbly acknowledges that he needs help, and he goes to find the Apostle Paul. Sometimes leaders aren't willing to share their leadership with others. But it also took commitment. From Antioch to Tarsus, it's 130 miles. It's like going from Raleigh to Wilmington. You might think that, that's not a big deal. Get to Wilmington in two and a half hours. Some of you are like two and a half hours and get there in two hours. You know what I mean. You're supposed to get there in two and a half hours. <laughs> it was an eight-day journey from Antioch to Tarsus. So there's Barnabas, eight-day journey up, and then it said he had to search for Paul. I don't think Paul was sitting in his bedroom waiting for a church to call him. He was out preaching the gospel. And so Barnabas had to search for him, and he found him, and then he comes eight days' journey back to to Antioch. And they taught, it says, for a full year. They had an effective ministry. Many people hearing the word, the church is being built up. Unbelievers are coming to faith in Christ, and it is there in Antioch where the church is first, the believers are first called Christians. This is probably not something they called themselves. They were called. Others called them that. It demonstrates to us that Christianity was growing. They were effective. They were having a positive impact on the community, they were, but they were also distinct from the Jewish believers, uh, from, from Judaism. And so they are now called Christians, followers of Christ. But notice in this, in this narrative how Antioch is central to everything. Six times Luke mentions Antioch. 
right? Persecuted believers, they go to Antioch, preach to Jews. Others come to Antioch, preach to Gentiles. They send Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas goes to get the Apostle Paul, brings them to Antioch. Then they're first called Christians in Antioch. And then later we'll see prophets go from Jerusalem to Antioch. Everything revolves around the church at Antioch. And it continues to be central. Did you know that the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, that's a pretty pretty good title to have. I mean, that's pretty authoritative. He was commissioned as a missionary by the local church. That's what we do. We, we oftentimes, even if a, someone's sent out by an organization, they are commissioned by the local church. That's good and right. We see that Paul did that. The apostle Paul was commissioned. Acts 13, 3. After fasting and praying, they, that's the church, at least the leaders there, laid hands on them, Paul and Barnabas, and sent them off. And then what happened when they came back? They, they preached their first missionary journey. They went to Asia Minor. They returned. Guess what? They gathered the church together, give a report. Acts 14. They sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. That's, that's what Larry did, right? He, he went on a trip throughout India. He came back. And he reported what the Lord had done. Do you really believe that the local church is the essential means by which God will carry out his purpose and plan in the world? Apostles, what did they do? They established churches. Christ gave leaders to the churches. Most of the New Testament epistles are written to churches. Discipleship and the building up of the body takes place in the local church. Are you committed to the local church? I was having a conversation with my dental hygienist. Um, these conversations, not, I don't know if you can describe them that way. It's not really much of a conversation. They're asking you questions like, yeah, you know, um, your mouth is pried open. They're doing all these scaling and cleaning and flossing and brushing. And, uh, but you're trying to carry on a conversation. And, and so I was talking to her, and, and she found out that I teach at the seminary and that I teach uh, New Testament in Greek. And that caught her interest because her brother had studied Greek. And so I told her, yeah, you know, I have a, I have a Greek textbook coming out. And so she said, oh, well, you write the title down. So I wrote the title down. And we continued to talk, and I said, yeah, you know, I've... I've most of, the, most of the things I publish are related to the church and church leadership. And I said, I even have a book on church membership, the importance and significance and necessity of church membership. And that's where I lost her. And she said, well, I, I, don't, I don't really believe in church membership. I believe in the universal church. Uh, you know, I go to church, but I don't think you have to be a member of a church. God's plan is to work through the local church. We need to be connected. We need to be covenanted together so that effectively we can work together to further God's kingdom. Are you available to be used by the church? Look at Barnabas. They asked, asked to go to Jerusalem or from Jerusalem to Antioch. He goes. 
He needs help. He goes to look for Paul, brings him back. Paul willingly comes from Tarsus, his hometown, uh, to help in Antioch. Are you willing to serve where there's a need? Do you have the integrity and reputation? Why do you think Barnabas and Paul were asked? Because they were the type of people that were serving, that enjoyed serving, and that were, were actually serving. They didn't wait around. It's God's plan to work through the local church. Third, God's plan includes partnering with other churches. God's plan includes partnering with other churches. We see this in verses 27 to 30. It says, Now in these days the prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. Then Luke tells us this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. It is God's plan for us to partner, to have solidarity with other believers in other locations. Notice that God used the prophets to encourage Christian partnership. And so you have prophets who went from Jerusalem to Antioch to prophesy about a famine that's going to come. Why? Why go all the way to Antioch to tell about this famine that's coming? I think the reason is so that the church there would know and that they would respond and help. This was a God-ordained newsletter coming ever got a newsletter from a missionary? Help! Right? This is God speaking through. Notice it says, by the Spirit, he spoke. And so God is using this prophet to speak his message so that the church could respond and help. And that's what they did. The disciples in Antioch embraced Christian partnership. Everyone gave according to his own ability. Everyone participated in some way. And notice how the believers in the church at Jerusalem, notice the title, they're called brothers. You see, that solidarity was there, that family relationship. When they were suffering in Jerusalem, that meant something to them. And so they responded in faith. It is healthy. It is healthy for a church to support and to be involved in, with other churches outside of their four walls, outside of their building, outside of their members. You know, sometimes I wonder if some of our members might think that as a church we spend too much time, too much of our limited resources planting, helping, supporting, and visiting other churches. And we're struggling with our own goals. This is part of God's plan. It is good for us not to be self-absorbed 
with our own needs, with our own building projects. That's why when we have our capital campaign, what do we do? We skim off the top 10% and we give it away. That is good and that is healthy. Well, there are many ways for us to be involved and partner with other churches. You can do this by visiting our missionaries, as Larry did. Visited six families in India, traveling throughout this giant country, going on trains and planes and automobiles. I don't know what he, how he got, got around. Maybe some uh, means of transportation that we never even heard of. Some kind of two, three-wheeler, something or other. Notice in this passage, I was struck as I read it, there are nine verbs of travel. Everybody's going everywhere. That, that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. We have missionaries in India, in China, Turkey, Thailand, Papua New Guinea. Someone just came back from Papua New Guinea recently. The trip there. Czech Republic, Romania, Bosnia, various countries in Africa, Haiti, Mexico, Canada, and even here in the U.S. And guess what? In three weeks, we have our annual missions conference called Intermissions. That is a great opportunity for us to partner with and support, to have that solidarity with people in other places. And last year, just by way of example, we able to support well projects, Bible literature and distribution projects, even school tuition for children in India. We can participate individually and as a church. We have a, uh, during this intermissions conference, if you've never come, you, you must. We have uh, a silent auction, and then we have something that most churches we, we can only dream of having. We have a live auction by professional auctioneers who love Jesus, and these guys are fantastic. And then we take a, a, a one great offering, we call it, where we give to missions. And some of that money goes to support the IMB missionaries and, and our local church plants. You know that in the last five or six years, North Wake has just, in the U.S., has planted four churches and one on the way. Do you pray for them? Do, do you know their names and where they are? We have a church in Washington, D.C. What's it, what's it called? Restoration Church. Do you pray for Restoration Church? We planted that church. Members were commissioned and sent out. We have a church plant in Tampa, Florida. What's it called? Covenant Life Church. A couple years ago, planted a church in Rollsville. Exchange Church. And one in North Raleigh. Oaks Church, and this year plant, plan to plant a fifth church in Martinsville, Virginia, Uptown Church. You need to be praying for them, supporting them, encouraging them, visiting them. This is God's plan. So we see in this passage that God is working His plan in the world through the church. It's a plan that includes all people's all nations. It's a plan that centers on the local church, but one that also includes the local church partnering with others, helping them, encouraging them, supporting them. You see, unlike the plans of man, including the very detailed plans of the Super Bowl, the outcome 
of this plan is certain. Jesus himself said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We can have certainty. Do you trust in God's plan? Are you committed to it? That's our challenge this morning. Let's pray. Lord, your word has been opened up before us. Lord, would you work in our hearts now? Would you convict us? Help us, Lord, to see where we need to step up. Help us, Lord, to see our sin, our shortcoming, lack of passion, lack of interest. And help us, Father, through your help, be committed to your plan, one that is guaranteed to win. Thank you, Lord, that you use us. Thank you that you have saved us. And now, Lord, continue to equip us and to use us for your glory. May Christ be exalted through our lives. And we pray in his name. Amen.